Welcome to No Baller. I am Chris Rawl. It is Wednesday, July 21st. On today's show, the Milwaukee Bucks are 2021 NBA champions as Giannis Antetokounmpo turns in a game and a series for the ages. Before we get there, I want to talk about my gambling last night. I want to give you one reason why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah. I went heavy on Milwaukee. As I mentioned on yesterday's show, I had them first quarter. Uh, that cashed. As they go down in the second quarter, I start live betting them. I have them for the game. I'm all in on the Bucks, And it sets up a very enjoyable second half for me because they come back. And now we're bouncing around the number. Milwaukee minus five. That was the actual game line going in. Um, and the Bucks. They're on their way to winning the NBA championship. It's under 10 seconds to go. The crowd's on its feet. Everybody's fired up. They lead by seven, 105-98. And most people, I think, are just going, this is going to be a really cool moment because the Bucks are winning the title. And me, a person who has Milwaukee minus five, is going, don't allow a three-pointer. And indeed, Devin Booker, he rises up for a three with seven seconds to go. My heart's up in my throat. I'm going, oh, this can't end like this. This is going to be just a sad, sad gambling loss. Luckily... Booker, who goes 8 for 22 in the game, he clanks it off the iron. Milwaukee grabs the rebound. NBA champions, uh, all the betters are happy who took them at minus 5 or money line or any of that stuff. And we have our reason why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah so that the most intense shot of the NBA finals can come when the championship is already decided. And now a word from our sponsor, Traeger Grills. Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. I am going to start the show at the end of last night's Game 6 between the Bucks and the Suns. The Bucks obviously win by 7 points. The NBA Championship. Uh, it's a tie game going into the fourth quarter. It is a team without a championship in their history, the Phoenix Suns, against a team with one championship that occurred in 1971, 50 years ago. Uh, and as we were going to commercial break and coming back into the fourth quarter, I, I was sitting here watching it going, this is what I love about sports. Um, you have an incredible scene in Milwaukee. You have 17,000 people within that arena. You have 65,000 people outside uh, waiting for this moment, you know, this half-century moment in the making, which I think a lot of people who are fans of specific sports teams, especially smaller market teams in professional sports leagues that are not catered towards small markets— you can go a very long time and sometimes just your life in general and not have that moment where your team wins the championship. So when the opportunity arises, it increases that feeling of pressure and want within a fan base where you go, I don't know when this is really going to happen again, uh, this opportunity. And so you had that on both sides. The Suns, their last big opportunity uh, on this particular stage, the NBA Finals, 1993. You know, we're talking almost 30 years. They go down in a very close, hard-fought six-game series to Jordan and the Bulls. And now they're back in that, and they're going, when are we going to get this opportunity again? I don't know. So the Bucks win, uh, and it presents this stark contrast, which was really represented by the kind of closing shots that ABC put on the screen. 
uh, one of Giannis after the game and one of Chris Paul. And I'm talking the immediate aftermath of the game. Uh, And it really represented another thing that I both love and sometimes feel uncomfortable about sports. It's just this really raw emotion that comes from both the players themselves, but also the fans who really care about this stuff and who follow these teams and players over the course of their life. Uh, And you have Giannis on one end, the happiness and just the overwhelming joy almost that comes from, oh, this is a fulfillment of my entire career. You know, and he's sitting down on a chair and he's putting a towel over his head and he's kind of just looking around in almost this dazed stupor. And you compare that on the split screen to Chris Paul, who probably knows he's not going to get another chance like this. He's 36 years old. He's never won an NBA championship. And he's walking out there and it's just the one dude. And you can see him just almost feel the weight of, man, I was this close and it wasn't to be. And now I'm going to be one of those people, presumably, that's talked about down the road for all of time in the NBA when it comes to, man, this player was so good, but they never won an NBA championship. You know, it's the same stuff we hear about Barkley or Malone or Stockton or go down the list of all these great, fantastic players who've existed in the past that never really got to hold the Larry O'Brien trophy. Uh, And this stuff, I mean, it it was kind of unreal watching And me, the viewer who's hyper aware of just this emotional aspect of the game, you know, you'll never see a starker contrast in emotion than those two people. The one who has just had his career fulfilled and the one who knows that opportunity is gone. So this ties into something that I really, really love about sports, um, that you can see these moments play out in real time. And I think about even one from this last year uh, on the golfing side, Hideki Matsuyama at the Masters, which his post-round walk is one of the most memorable moments of this year when it comes to the actual uh, filmmaking side, if you want to call it that, because he taps in on 18, he hugs his caddy, and he's happy, but once he's walking off the green, he's going to sign his scorecard, he's walking through all the fans, And there's just one camera from CBS that's following in front of him. And you get this moment, much like Giannis in the chair, where over the course of 30 seconds, you just kind of see all of the emotions play out on his face, where at first it's just kind of, I don't believe this. And then it's, oh my gosh, uh, did that just happen? And then it's kind of this overwhelming feeling of, well, what do I do now? And then it's just the happiness that sinks in after that. And we've seen that again throughout all of time. One of the most memorable things from the last couple years is when the Last Dance documentary came out about Michael Jordan. And there's this unreleased footage of him cradling the Larry O'Brien trophy on the floor after he won the NBA title uh, and his dad had just died. And the video shot of that, the still shots of that, like it's one of the most memorable things that I watched. You know, he's there, he's just literally sobbing, heaving his body. And you get this emotional aspect of sports and, and in that case, just life. Like all those things coming into this one moment. It's... LeBron, when Cleveland won for the first time, again, a half century in the making for any professional sports franchise in that city to win an NBA championship. Uh, And they're up by four, and Curry hoists a three from the corner as the clock's getting ready to expire, and you know that they can't win. And Cleveland's already rushing the court as the ball's in the air, and the clock is still going. And he's hugging Kevin Love, and then he's sobbing and all that kind of stuff. All this stuff uh, is what I think about when I see moments like last night 
uh, like that split screen of Giannis on the winning side of Chris Paul on the losing side. And, and from a grander perspective, it's what I think about when I see a small market team that's never won a championship go against a small market team that now has won their first championship in 50 years. Uh, it's that really incredible combination of hope on one side and dismay on the other. Uh, the realization that you fulfilled this opportunity and the realization that you might not get this again and it slipped out of your grasp. So that's the emotional side of this game. Um, and obviously there was a basketball game that was played. Uh, and the one story of the series, the story of last night's game, the thing that I just couldn't get over after every single show that I would come to do was just what is going on with Giannis Antetokounmpo and what an incredible star turn uh, he has made. So it's interesting to look at him because seven years ago, uh, he was not this. There's a tweet that I see going into the game from ESPN that says, you know, only two players remain from this 2013-2014 Bucks team that went 15-67. and 67. Giannis and Chris Middleton. Uh, and it's, there's pictures of both these players, you know, Giannis looking like this little kid, which he was at the time, and, and Middleton also looking like this, you know, child. Giannis, he's this baby. He's 46 pounds lighter than he is in present day. There were a bunch of side-by-sides of him that rookie season versus now going around on social media last night. And it just speaks to this transformation of his body, for one, obviously, uh, but also his game. Because if you remember Giannis in his early years, it was just this almost uncontrollable baby deer type body. And there was athleticism there, but he didn't fully know how to use it. And slowly over the course of years, it was shaped into what he is now, a two-time MVP and now NBA Finals MVP. So we're talking about last night and an all-time game from an all-time player. You rewind three weeks ago, and it looks like his season is over. The famous knee incident against Atlanta in Game 4. I was watching. I thought his knee was blown out. I thought it was an ACL injury. I thought he was going to be gone for a calendar year. Uh, And somehow he sits out for the last two games of that series, and he's back in the NBA Finals. And last night, he's putting together just a masterpiece of a performance, one of the greatest individual games you'll ever see played in the NBA Finals, in a closeout game to boot. 50 points, 14 rebounds, 5 blocks, 16 for 25 from the field. And most importantly for Giannis, the dude who has struggled with free throws throughout his career, and that's really been a knock on him as as the crowd who goes, you can't win an NBA title with this guy, uh, circles in. He goes seven for 17 for 19 from the free throw line. Last night was the full Giannis experience, the unstoppable freight train. Just, you can't stay in front of the dude. If you try, you're going to get... A foul. Uh, we saw him bully DeAndre Ayton into foul trouble all night. A dude who physically is similar size and stature to Giannis, and he just almost looked like a child trying to get in front of him. And then when he was in position, Giannis would just go, well, yeah, I'm just going to spin or shoulder you. You're going to go flying, and I'm going to lay it up, or I'm going to get an and one, or I'm going to go to the line for two free throws. And then I'm going to shoot 17 for 19 from the line. You know, nobody on Phoenix last night had any idea how to stay in front of him at any point. And that was a a theme that really started to play out the more the series went along. Phoenix wins the first two games, but game two, man, Giannis was also the unstoppable freight train. He just received no help from anyone on his roster. 
And games three and four and five and six, they start playing out. And the more the series went on, the more it became very apparent that Phoenix just had no answer for this level of physicality and athleticism from one player who can go and score in the paint at will. And then on a night like last night, when he's hitting those free throws, the one thing that you go, if all else fails, just grab him. Don't let him get an and one. And hopefully he goes 10 for 19 from the line or 7 for 19. If he goes 7 for 17 for 19, uh, it's it's done. You know, Jeff Van Gundy remarks at one point, his effort is unimpeachable. And that was very evident last night. He was flying. He was everywhere. He looked faster. He looked stronger than every single player on the floor. Um, he became the second player in NBA history to have three 40.10 rebound games in the finals, joining Shaq in 2000. Uh, his 30 points in the paint last night, the most in a postseason game in his entire career. A dude who, again, is like one of the all-time players in the actual paint. That's why Shaq is his historical comparison in virtually every single way. Um, he's the seventh player ever to have 50 in a finals game. Just an unbelievable series and game last night from Giannis Antetokounmpo. It's really interesting to, again, pull back and look at the 20,000-foot view of this particular arc so far because we're not that far removed from a lot of people, uh, casual and hardcore NBA fans alike, looking at Giannis and saying, you can't really win with that guy as your centerpiece because his flaw, the outside shooting, and especially the free throw shooting, it's too much to overcome. And so he has to be kind of a side piece to a bigger star in order for him to truly win an NBA title, which now you watch how these finals play out, and especially you watch a game like last night, and it's almost comical to think that if you just sat a stranger down and said, watch this game, and they watch it, and at the end of it you go, now a lot of people were saying that you couldn't win with that guy is the centerpiece of your team and your franchise. Like that person would laugh directly into your face. This is why a lot of this narrative stuff is always kind of overblown and a lot of why I think that sports media in general is a little bit bothersome because the takery always has to come out. And when it's about a player that is obviously as good as Giannis has been over the course of years and years and years, um, a lot of this seems foolish. At the time, and especially now in retrospect, I want to read something from Eric Name and Sam Amick of The Athletic that kind of ties into what I'm talking about here when it comes to Giannis. He shot too many threes. He didn't make enough free throws and took way too long to shoot them to begin with. He didn't guard the right guys, especially for someone who was named the Defensive Player of the Year last season. The nitpicking, it seemed, never stopped. Beyond the fans and media members who have never played the game professionally, there were very credible people framing the conversation as if he didn't deserve to be considered among the elite. A former MVP had chimed in, with James Harden, then with Houston, famously saying of Antetokounmpo that, I wish I could just run and was seven feet and could run and just dunk, during an interview with ESPN in February 2020. Like, that takes no skill at all. I've got to actually learn how to play basketball and have skill. There was a former NBA champion with ESPN's Richard Jefferson tweeting last September that Giannis might be a Pippin. There, I said it. He needs his Jordan. End quote. So this was just a little sliver of the general discourse surrounding him. Again, comical in retrospect, watching how these finals play out. 
But this is where I always intervene and say we don't necessarily need a finals like this to truly understand that talk like this is foolish. Uh, I think that it was very apparent over the course of the last three-plus years that Giannis had become a very special player and, yes, had flaws within his game. But almost every player in the history of every sport has at least one flaw or multiple flaws within their game. Um, And how their team covers that up really will dictate success on a team level. So now I I think about the criticism and I look down Giannis throughout these finals and I go, man, that's crazy because you just go on the hard statistics from him and how he performed every single game through six games of these finals. And it's jaw-dropping. It's astounding. Game one, 20 points, 17 rebounds, four assists, one block, two steals. And that's his first game back off of the knee injury. When I didn't know what to expect, I thought he's going to look physically hampered, and he didn't. We go into game two, 42, 12, 4, 3, 1. Game three, 41, 13, 6. Game four, 26, 14, 8, 2, and 3. Game five, 32, 9, and 6. Game six, last night, the 50, the 14, the two assists, the five blocks. Like, there wasn't an off night. There wasn't a night that he didn't leave an indelible print on the individual game itself. And then when you zoom out and look at the series in totality, you go, this is one of the very best series that any individual has ever played in the NBA Finals. Uh, And that will be now remembered and celebrated because, again, the team helped boost Giannis up uh, and gave him that platform first to perform, but then also to really ball out in the finals and they fill in the gaps. So I say that stuff because the breaks of the game need to align always for the NBA champion. And they need to align even with Giannis putting together a performance like this. The injuries against Brooklyn two rounds prior, that needs to align in your favor. The injury to Trey Young in the Eastern Conference Finals, that needs to work in your favor. Um, and the Giannis injury itself not being a season ender. That needs to align in your favor. And when he's out, a supporting cast that's good enough to step up and win game five and six of the Eastern Conference Finals against Atlanta when it's a 2-2 series. The breaks of the game need to align. And if they do, and you have a superstar performance alongside that, that's how you arrive where we're at. uh, Milwaukee Bucks NBA champion. So I want to talk about the other side for uh, a moment. Because the Suns... Um, they'll kind of be the team that's forgotten because they lost. But there was a lot about this season and their performance in this game that I I enjoyed and respected and will remember, you know. Uh, It it ties into the how do you respond to adversity theme that I'm always talking about that comes to the playoffs. And after the first quarter, the Suns are down by 13. Again, 17,000 people going crazy in the arena, 65,000 outside. They can sense the championship. It feels like it's just going to be one of those runaways, um, Cam point, he score, or campaign, he scores 10 points in six minutes to help kind of weather that storm and not let it get to 25 points. And then Phoenix settles in in the first quarter, or the second quarter. Um, and they outscore Milwaukee 31-13. They're led by Chris Paul. He's at the half. He's got 13 points, four assists. Phoenix makes a really smart X and O adjustment to get Giannis switched into the first pick-and-roll action as the primary defender and then bringing another pick-and-roll to then get him switched out and... Paul was able to really attack the bigs that were on the floor for Milwaukee. 
So he's feasting in the mid-range. He's getting lobs to Aiden. Um, and that's how Phoenix really played nicely in that quarter. Especially as, Phoenix, or as Milwaukee is going 4 for 20 from the field. 0 for 8 from 3. 4 turnovers. They have their lowest scoring quarter of the postseason. 13 points. Uh, meanwhile, Phoenix in that second quarter. 11 for 18 from the field. Uh, and so going into the half... I'm sitting here going, uh, I don't know. Like, I felt like this game was going to be a runaway. Now Phoenix has truly responded. They're cooking on offense. Paul looks like he's in control, which he played a nice game in his own right. Uh, and it sets up the stage for the opposite side. For Milwaukee, how do you respond to this adversity? Now maybe is the game kind of slipping into the really high pressure zone for you where you go, we can't lose this game six on our floor with a chance to clinch an NBA championship for the first time in 50 years. And that's when the pressure really sits in. Um, how do you respond to that? Uh, and it was simple. It was unleash Giannis. And Phoenix had no answer. Uh, and that's why Milwaukee takes over in the second half. That's why they win uh, going away down the stretch by seven points. That's why they're, they're the NBA champions. So this all ties into a thing that I find to be interesting that I actually was reminded of again last night. Even me, a person who's really aware of this stuff, that all is forgiven when you win. I want to read a tweet from ESPN Stats and Info about Drew Holiday's first half last night. Drew Holiday shot 1 for 11, 9.1% in the first half. The second worst field goal percentage in the first half of an NBA Finals game over the last 25 years with a minimum of 10 field goal attempts. Dirk Nowitzki shot 8.3%, 1 for 12, in the first half of Game 6 of the 2011 NBA Finals at the Heat. End quote. I saw this flash, and especially once the game had ended in Milwaukee 1, I kind of chuckled because I'm very aware of these little things that a good player can play bad or, and lose, or a good player can play bad and the team can win, or they can play fantastic and their team can lose. And even me, a person who is very sensitive and aware of this stuff, I completely forgot this about Dirk. Uh, this was one of my favorite NBA Finals of my lifetime. The Heat, the Mavs, uh, just incredible pressure, theater, basketball, all that kind of stuff. Dirk, it was, this, it was the playoff run that truly transformed public perception of him as much like Giannis, just this centerpiece of a championship team. And yet even amidst that, I'd totally forgotten the first half of that game. And as soon as I saw the stat, I remembered that Dirk had gone one for 12 in that first half and Dallas was struggling and it seemed like Miami was going to win game six and have game seven on their home floor again and then maybe win the title there. And instead, Dallas fought back. Dirk fought back. They win game six. They win the NBA championship. And it was just a reminder to me that, yeah, on the losing side, I always will defend people and go, look, this player, they played better than uh, a team loss would point towards. But on the winning side, even for me, you know, like it just forgives everything that came before it. Uh, and a lot of what I will remember is just, yeah, that person, they did these specific things to help their team win an NBA championship. And I forget all of the other stuff that kind of uh, maybe wasn't as good when it comes to their individual play. So I start with Drew Holiday because I talked about his game five performance, which was outrageously good. And I said, if the Bucks want to win the series, this is the one thing that I'll remember. And it is. And <laughs> And last night, he goes four for 19 from the field. Four out of the six games in this series, he was just atrocious. He was an abomination shooting the basketball. Uh, you would never believe in a million years, if you watch game five and six, that this is the same player shooting the basketball. Game five, 
looked awesome. Game six looked like he'd never seen a basketball in his life. But as has become his calling card within the playoffs, Drew Holiday has always found a way to affect the game, even if his shot is not there. Last night, there's 11 assists, there's nine rebounds, there's four steals, and most importantly, uh, truly some of the most spectacular perimeter defense that I have ever watched. You go down, you look at a couple other people on the Bucks roster, and it's that same story of all is forgiven when you win. Bobby Portis, who no one would really ever remember uh, if he, he didn't play just this strange integral side role to an NBA champion, now he's that. You know, before this, I most remember him for being on Chicago and just they're not very good and he's doing weird stuff. He's got the weird Bobby Portis smile. Last night, 16 points, three rebounds, and 23 minutes off the bench. It's all about energy. It's all about physicality. It's all about alongside Pat Connaughton, helping Milwaukee downshift into just these smaller style units that gave Phoenix another look that they had to worry about. Uh, it gave us the great Bobby Portis crazy man smile in the fourth quarter. When Chris Paul's trying to go argue with the ref and Bobby Portis is laughing and pushing him and saying, no, you're not getting behind me. Uh, That's what I'll remember now about Bobby Portis. All is forgiven when you win. Uh, Chris Middleton, same boat for Milwaukee. Because there's never going to be any more questions about whether he can be the primary half-court scorer on a championship team. He now has been that. Um, He didn't play his best game last night. You know, 17 points, five rebounds, five assists, four steals. But like the last three games, game four, game five, game six, he hit enormous shots down the stretch for Milwaukee. Very tough mid-range jumpers that, again, sometimes that's the area that you have to rely upon scoring in these crunch time possessions. Middleton was the one who stepped up for Milwaukee and gave that to him. Uh, And now that's what you remember moving forward about Chris Middleton. The questions that have arisen about this Bucks roster, about Mike Budenholzer as a coach, about kind of everything that has gone into this organization, they're gone because all's forgiven when you win. And when you're an NBA champion, that's the thing that people will always remember. So this ends the weirdest NBA season of my life. You know, and there's a lot of players and teams and fans sitting at home and going, man, that could have been me or it could have been us in uh, this year more than any other obviously it, that's true for a hell of a lot of teams way more than in any normal NBA season uh, but injuries luck perseverance and one of the greatest superstar performances you'll ever see uh, that combines to make the Milwaukee Bucks the 2021 NBA champions uh, their very first championship in 50 years Thank you for listening to No Baller. This show is produced by Weston Tanner and can be consumed in a variety of ways. You can download it as a podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or the platform of your choice. You can also view it in video form via the Beehive TV app, which can be downloaded on Apple, Google, Roku, and Amazon Fire. For more information, go to noballer.com.